comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. Hear the Gospel of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Join me in prayer, please. Lord God, we give you thanks and we give you praise for this day. Lord, we thank you for calling us out of sleep and into the worship of your gathered bride here at Christ Community Church. Lord, we pray for those who are not among us. Lord, whether they be traveling or sick, Lord, we pray, God, that you would protect them, Lord, and bring them back to full health. We pray, Lord God, that as we continue to worship you, Lord, through the hearing of your word and through Eucharist and through more singing, Lord God, we pray, Father, that our worship of you would be in spirit and in truth, and all would be done in the glory and the name of Christ. Amen. There's one particular word that I think really applies to this passage um, that I want us to really kind of take note of today. So if you don't listen to any other word that I say for about the next 25 minutes, at least go home with this, right? This is a very comforting passage, and it ought to be. But there's a lot going on here, right? Scripture is constantly portraying us as sheep. And not to be insulting, but it is portraying us as sheep, right? Sheep aren't the smartest of animals, and they smell. But Scripture is constantly portraying us as sheep. But the problem is, by virtue of our lives in the 21st century, especially in the West, we often find that our appreciation of this particular type of imagery it's kind of limited. And this is really due to our cultural handicap, right? Because when we read about sheep and we read about shepherds, we don't really have that constant cultural imagery in our minds. right? Not because we haven't seen a video on YouTube, and not because we haven't possibly heard this text taught and preached constantly many times, and not even that maybe some of us have visited other countries and seen this when we visited other countries, but Due to the experience of our own culture and our, er- our own era, we oftentimes miss the richness of this biblical symbol of being called sheep. 
And in this first century context in which Jesus' earthly ministry took place, shepherding was an intimate occupation. And it had been one for generations and for centuries. And it still is in similar cultures that exist today. A shepherd would tend the same sheep for years. And he would build up a familiarity with them just as he would build up one, they would build up one with him. So much so that a shepherd could simply call out and the sheep would happily come to him. I saw a video, speaking of a video on YouTube, I saw this great video on YouTube of a guy who had bought a new herd of sheep. I guess either he had, his got too old or he just bought more to add to his. But he also had some goats over in the woods and he let them kind of graze all over his property. But he called to these sheep and they ran away because they were new. He was a stranger. He did not know them. But the goats, being goats, were like, let's, let's go up and see what he's got, right? Because goats are even more dumb than sheep. But sheep's very existence depend on a shepherd's constant care and attention. Right? This is why Jesus was moved with compassion over the crowds that he saw because he said that they were like sheep without a shepherd, which is tragic imagery. And frankly, we're no different in our own culture today. So while some of us in the church might be very contented members of the flock, others of us are weary and we're confused. Some of us are anxious and helpless. Some of us are even unfamiliar with the voice of our shepherd. Some of us have gotten so used to ignoring the voice of our shepherd for so long that we have a hard time recognizing it. Or we have begun to confuse it with the voice of the enemy. And what makes this passage so remarkable is that Jesus' statements here don't come out of the blue. They're not random. There's no suggestion here in John of a break between the text that we're looking at and Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees that he was having in chapter 9. So if you want to open your Bibles to chapter 9, you can there toward the end because the entirety of chapter 9, I'm only going to read a couple of verses from it to help us grasp the context. But the entirety of chapter 9 is dedicated to Jesus' healing of a man who was born blind. And then the immediate fallout from the Pharisees. Right? This is a miracle that was an incredible display of the creative divine power that Jesus had. And as Jesus creates sight for one man, he exposes the blindness of the others. And so listen here toward the end in verse 39, we see this. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have, not, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And so then, it blends right into John 10, and Jesus then uses this opportunity to contrast their shepherding of God's people with his own. And he does so by illustrating his point through a metaphor, or as the verse 6 of this says, John uses, he says, a figure of speech. Another word we, might, we could possibly use here would be a parable. And so he states this in just the first three verses of our text. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
And so now in the wake of the lack of care and concern for those under their responsibility, Jesus begins here and he says, truly, truly, or most assuredly, or I know the King James has, I think, verily, verily. Amen, amen is another uh, way you could translate this. Basically, what Jesus is doing is he's stressing that what he is about to proclaim to these crowds is completely backed up by divine authority. And so he begins here by drawing for them a mental picture of a sheepfold. And there are two kinds of sheepfolds that are helpful to keep in mind here in a society like this. The first one would be one that was out in the countryside or out in the wilderness, right? This is a sheepfold that was found with a low-walled corral, right, and with a stone opening in the front. This aspect of being the door, and this is, is that in the evening time, the shepherd would lay in that opening in order to protect the door to keep the sheep in and to keep danger out. But there was another kind that I think this is what Jesus has in mind here, and it was found within villages and in towns and in cities. These were communal courtyards that were surrounded by buildings or homes or even tall walls where multiple shepherds could corral their sheep for the night, but was also staffed by a paid gatekeeper. So to access this courtyard then was limited to only those that the gatekeeper knew had the authority to enter into it. And there was only one access point, right? There was only one way in, one way out, and it was by the door or by the gate. And that's Jesus' point here, and and one in which everyone in the society that would have heard this would have immediately understood. The one who gains entry by any other means is a thief and a robber. This person avoided the gatekeeper on purpose because the gatekeeper knew that they did not belong. Right? This, they've climbed the walls in order to gain entry. This is someone who is up to no good. And we can immediately then pick up on the contrast that Jesus is making here between himself and the Pharisees. Not only are the intentions of the shepherd different from the thief or the robber, but his immediate admission by the gatekeeper tells us that the shepherd has been given the authority over what already belonged to him in the first place. And so as he enters, he walks in among the multitude of flocks. And as we see here in verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He walks in to these multitude of flocks. These multiple shepherds have their flocks in this courtyard. And this seems like it would be a problem for a shepherd, but a shepherd could just simply talk to his sheep. He would call them by name, and they, their ears would prick up and they'd respond. They would come to him. And so in this way, the gatekeeper would hold the door open and he would easily lead his sheep out of this communal courtyard and they would follow him. When, when we lived in Mississippi with my folks, we had uh, chickens and some guinea fowl, which are the most obnoxious bird on the planet. Uh, <laughs> but even though they're not sheep, they would actually respond to a particular call from my dad in the evenings. So it was actually quite interesting to watch. But So regardless of where they were on the property, if they were down in the woods, if they were an acre away, my dad could come out and shake a big can of chicken scratch right, and call them and they would come running through the woods. And this is really, this is the picture that Jesus is painting for us and for the Pharisees and for those that are in his hearing here. The shepherd knows his sheep. Right? He knows what they look like. He knows what scars are left on their bodies from a failed wolf attack. He knows whose wool is softer than others. He knows who walks with a limp. He knows the one that's prone to wander more than the rest. He knows them. He knows them intimately. He knows their name. 
And he names them as a sign of his authority over them, but he also as a sign of his knowledge and his intimacy of them. But notice in this verse, in verse 3, while he knows his sheep, his sheep also know him. Right? They know his voice. They know his character. They know his attributes. They know his scent. And when he calls them, they happily respond to him. But anyone who attempts to enter by any other way isn't there because they care for the sheep. They aren't there because they love the sheep. They're not there because they know the sheep. They don't know the sheep. They don't know the sheep's quirks. They don't know their personalities. They don't know their special needs. Their only concern is for profit, right? Because they're a thief and they're a robber. The good of the sheep is not the last thing on their mind. It's not on their mind at all. They don't care. But the shepherd does not need to climb over the walls. He doesn't need to sneak around. He doesn't need to use intimidation for his sheep to follow him. Nor does the shepherd attempt to convince others that good things for his sheep, like giving sight to a blind man who had never had it, is an evil, sinful thing. The shepherd walks right through the front door and cares for his sheep. And the contrast that Jesus is drawing here between himself and the Pharisees' failed leadership of God's covenant people is clear and is pointed. By refusing to acknowledge the divine healing of what Jesus did by giving sight to a man born blind, they're showing clearly their own spiritual blindness. But worse, because frankly spiritual blindness can be cured by God. So something even worse is going on here. The Pharisees show that they are not shepherds at all. They're thieves and they're robbers. They show that they do not care for the good of the sheep. And so what Jesus does then is he elevates this illustration in the next two verses in verses 4 and 5. And so he says this. He says, when he, when the shepherd has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The sheep know their true shepherd because they know him and they know his voice. They follow him. But Jesus, as he does multiple times throughout the Gospels, is he uses a really interesting, clever turn of phrase here in verse 4. that I think it's really helpful as we compare these two stories and we see this contrasting that Jesus is doing. Here in verse 4, he says this. He says again, when he has brought out, when the shepherd has brought out, in that phrase brought out in the Greek, this is the exact same phrase that John uses over in chapter 9, verse 34, to describe the expulsion of the man born blind from the synagogue. Listen again. Here's what John says. It's in chapter 9, verse 34. The Pharisees answered him and said, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And so they cast him out. But when the shepherd has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. The contrast between the shepherd and the thief and the robber is very clear. One leads, one guides the sheep, but the other banishes the sheep. The shepherd remains with his sheep. He goes ahead of them, not driving them out like a taskmaster, but guiding them by his voice. A voice that they know and a voice that they trust. So that's the illustration that Jesus uses to contrast his shepherding with the Pharisees. But John, then in verse 6, he helpfully offers us this little interjection, as John is wont to do. And he explains to us that the Pharisees 
did not understand what Jesus was saying to them. Right? They're hearing it, but they're not hearing it. Right? But Jesus, though, he doesn't leave his meaning hidden. Right? This is not one of these moments where he says, don't tell people who I am. He's telling them blankly, who he, completely, frankly, who he is. Thank you. And so he moves directly then in the rest of the passage into a clear explanation. And he says this, in verses 7 and 9, he says this. Jesus said again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In verse 9, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. So on the heels of the illustration that he has just explained, that anyone who attempts to enter the sheepfold by any other door is a thief and a robber, or any other means other than the door is a thief and a robber. Jesus now plainly states that he is the door. He is the only way in. And the Pharisees within Jesus' hearing would have clearly understood the significance of what he is saying, especially when he says this phrase, I am. They knew immediately what he was doing. And Jesus, in doing this, is actually telling us two things, and he's telling them two things. First, he is very clearly and very intentionally identifying himself with Yahweh. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing when he says, I am. And the Pharisees and any good Jew in their hearing would have recognized immediately this passage from Exodus chapter 3 where he says this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am the door of the sheep. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. But second, by identifying himself with Yahweh, Jesus is declaring to them that he is the only one who has the authority to access and to care for and to protect the sheep of Yahweh's sheepfold. And so notice what he says here. He says, all who enter by the door will be saved. And this term, will be saved, is really our guide to understanding the entire metaphor that Jesus is now using. Will be saved concerns the entire work of the Lord Jesus. And he is declaring to them very exclusively that he is the only way to access the sheepfold of God. In order to be protected from, sheep, uh, from, from wolves and thieves, the sheep must enter through the door of the sheepfold. To go out and to find food, to find nourishment, the sheep must exit through the same door of the sheepfold. There's no other way in, and there's no other way out. Jesus is the security of Yahweh's sheepfold. And as the door, Jesus is the protector and the provider for the sheep. He is the primary access to the sheepfold, and only he mediates any kind of access to his sheep. No one else has the authority. So when you come through the door, not only are you saved but you are secure. You belong to Yahweh's sheepfold completely. And when you go out through the door, you go out to pasture. You go out to find food and nourishment and peace. No one comes into the sheepfold of God except through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now at this point, you may have noticed that I skipped the hard verses of this passage, right? Verses 8 and 10. I did that on purpose because verses 8 and 10 help us to better really understand the exclusivity of what Jesus is proclaiming here 
in this passage. So I want to handle those two verses together. So he says this, right? Again, he tells them, I am the door. I am the door. You have to enter by me to come in and go out. But then he says this, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not listen to them. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they, meaning the sheep, that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. From the outset of this, verse 8 really forces us to deal with a very hard question. Jesus says, all who came before him were thieves and robbers. So this is an if-then question that really came into my mind. If every single person that came before Christ was a thief and a robber, then, then does this include the entire priesthood and the prophets and the, and the patriarchs? Because we all know from both Old Testament and New Testament that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. We know that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. So, to whom is Jesus referring to here? That's a legitimate question that any skeptic would be more than right to ask. So let me go ahead and clear this up. I do not think that's who he's referring to. Right? Let's, let's go ahead and, and not say what I would consider the heretical thing and, and say, yeah, he's referring to them too, because that's not the case. Right? That, that would be heresy. Calvin actually sums this up really well. He says this. He says, This does not at all apply to Moses or the, or the prophets because they had no other object in view other than to establish the kingdom for Christ. But let's answer this with Scripture, right? Just to make sure that we fully grasp that this is not who Jesus is referring to. Jesus himself tells the disciples in Matthew 13, he says, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then Peter echoes this exact same sentiment in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was, was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out what time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And it was revealed to them, says Peter, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And even angels long to look into these things. Right? No, Jesus is not referring to the faithful prophets and priests and kings of the Old Testament. As Calvin mentioned, they had no other concern other than to establish the kingdom for Christ. The only reason I mention this, again, is for the sake of clarity, to clear up any skepticism, but also to clear up any skepticism either in our own hearts or any possible conversations that we might have with an unbeliever. So then the question then remains, right? Okay, well, if that's the case, then to whom is Jesus referring? Well, there's two theories, and you guys know me well enough to know that I'm going to say they're both absolutely right. So the first one is this. It's either the Pharisees, that's right, or it's every single false teacher, past, present, and future, that proclaims justification outside of Christ. I think they're both right. Because there's no reason to assume that they need to be separated. So for the purpose of the contrast within this passage of John 10, when Jesus says that all who came before him are thieves and robbers, he is absolutely referring to the abusive leaders of his people in his day. 
So think again of the immediate context of these chapters, right? Chapters 9 and chapter 10. Jesus explains that some see the healing of a blind man and they rightly believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But others see that exact same healing and they do not believe because their eyes cannot move beyond anything other than keeping the Sabbath. Their hearts cannot fathom a Messiah that does not meet their expectations. And so they denounce him. They aren't sheep. They're robbers. But then outside the immediate context, just using the context of the entire Bible, we can move beyond the Pharisees, right? One commentator writes here and he says, this statement must also be seen to be describing the cosmological contrast between the mediating work of Jesus and all others. So not only the Pharisees, but any abusive leader of Yahweh's people throughout history falls into this category. And notice what Jesus says here. These are not secular leaders, right? These aren't the people in our government or any other government. These are people who were tasked specifically with caring for God's people, and they failed. Jeremiah scolded false prophets. Ezekiel scolded wicked shepherds. Hosea did the same thing with evil priests. And this same work rightly continues throughout all of church history. Marcion, Arius, Pelagius, Nestorius, Servetus, the prosperity gospel, all other extra testaments of Jesus Christ, all of these things have and had been rightly condemned. Calvin writes here, he says, it would not be unreasonable to extend this statement of Christ to all who from the very beginning of the world have professed to be teachers, but have not labored to gather sheep to Christ. But they have instead destroyed souls. Every church father on this referred to these false teachers as wolves. I personally like Clement of Alexandria's comment. He calls them all opportunistic soul seducers. I think that's the best quote ever. <laughs> and while, we could go on for hours, right? I mean, church history, like most of us at, at CCC, church history is our jam, right? But I don't want to get distracted from the point that Jesus is making, right? He is being very exclusive and absolute about his saving work because there has never been and there never will be any access to God other than through Christ justifying death and, and resurrection. Rather than being a statement about the first century alone, this, this verse, verse 8, is an interpretation and a warning to the entire history of religious teaching. James warns us of the same thing. Not many of you should become teachers, for you will be held to a higher standard. But then Jesus says something else here. He says this, But the sheep did not listen to them. They didn't listen to the thief and the robber. Now, let's be honest. We know many people who claim the name of Jesus, but they have embraced false teaching. So what does that say? Well, Jesus warns us of this point in Matthew 24. He says, If anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and great wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, even the people of God. The sheep who belong to Jesus know the voice of Jesus. The sheep who hear the voice of Jesus, the ones whom he calls out by name and the ones whom he leads out are the sheep of his flock. And so he proclaims then that the thief 
comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but he came so that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. Unlike the shepherd who offers true life and abundance, the thief can only offer death. But Jesus, as the door and as the shepherd of the sheep, not only preserves life, he creates life. And he gives life its true meaning. And so the only question that's really left out of this text for us is this. Are we listening to the voice of our shepherd? Or are we listening to the voice of the thief and the robber? And it's that question is the reason why I, I waited for these last two ver- for these two verses. Because within these verses, what Jesus is doing is he's not only giving us an understanding of his shepherding love and care versus that of the Pharisees. But it really what he's doing is even more so giving us a glimpse behind the veil of spiritual warfare. This text is not only a contrast between the shepherding of the Pharisees and himself, but more so the shepherding of Christ against the destructive thievery of the enemy. Christ is the door, Christ is the shepherd, and his sheepfold is the faith and the church. The enemy, the devil, Satan, the powers and principalities at work over this present darkness, he is the one who comes to kill and to destroy and to steal us away from Christ and to steal us away from the sheepfold. And the witness of the church is about God who has been made known to us personally in the person and work of Jesus. Christ brings and gives life because he has laid down his life and his life has been resurrected. And like a shepherd leading his sheep out of a sheepfold, Jesus leads the way for us as our good shepherd through both death and resurrection. And while Jesus offers here a a rebuke against false shepherds and false teaching, at the same time, he offers an invitation to each of us to enter into his sheepfold and to become his sheep. This invitation reminds us that the sheep of God are not only the recipients of God's love, but we are to respond to God's love. And the response of the sheep is that they hear and that they know the voice of their shepherd, and so they obediently follow him. The sheep must respond to the good shepherd in order to be brought into the sheepfold, into its protective and secure state. And so this morning, as we come to the table, come, come through the door. Come to the good shepherd who knows you and the good shepherd who wants to be known by you. Come to the table and remember and proclaim him. Remember his death and his resurrection and his return. Know that he is a good shepherd who loves you and who desires you and who actually wants you. Listen to his voice. Because the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal you and to kill you and to ultimately, eternally destroy you. But Christ, our good shepherd, has come so that we, his sheep, may not only have life, but have abundant and everlasting life. Amen. Amen.